Welcome to Financially Ever After, where award-winning and nationally recognized financial expert Stacy Francis will bring you savvy tips and words of wisdom on how to secure your financial future before, during, and after divorce. For 30 minutes every other week, you'll hear personal stories from women who have either faced or are currently facing this transition. In addition, you'll also soak up knowledge and inspiration from the industry's top legal, financial, residential, and mental health professionals. And now here's our host, Stacy Francis. Welcome to Financially Ever After, coming to you every other week with important information that you need to make smart decisions about your money, about your life, both going through and after a separation or divorce. Today, we have one of these amazing women, again, sharing important details that you need to know. And we're very blessed because Victoria McCooey has both personal experience, but also has launched her amazing career to help women just like you navigate the separation and divorce process yourself. So let me tell you a little bit about Victoria. Um, she's a transformational coach, a motivational speaker, and the creator of the Reclaim Your Power system. She works with a lot of women who are just like you, who are in controlling or otherwise abusive marriages to help them stand their ground to their abuser and regain control of their lives. Her articles have been featured in many different places, um, and you probably have read a few um, websites such as Dr. Laura, Hitched Magazine, Five Global, Professor's House Wellness, Divorce Force, Ezine Articles, I've Moved On, and many others. She's also appeared in a few wonderful places sharing her message, uh, such as the Narcissist Abuse Support Channel, also Women of Strength TV, Divorced Mommy Podcast, as well as Unleash Your Mojo Online, and you'll you be you and I'll be me. Through her writing, speaking, and private coaching, Victoria has helped really hundreds of women and some men, I'm sure a few very savvy <laughs> men, acquire skills, um, move their mindset, and find the courage necessary to stand up to an abusive partner and create a better, more joyful new life for themselves and their children. And at the end of the podcast, um, if you stay tuned, you'll be able to get more information about how you can learn more um, specifically about working with Victoria, visit her website, which she has some great content and supportive information for you too. And Victoria, I'm, I'm really happy to have you here today to talk about um, such an important topic. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, I love getting this message out to other women. It's a message and this topic of working to help free women from abusive or unsafe of uh, damaging relations, I, relationships. It's, you know, I've shared this before that it's why I do what I do. And, you know, my grandmother was one of those women. I saw a, a special picture of her yesterday that um, was taken when I was 17, um, both her and I, and I, it, it just, it really brought back the conflict um, and the pain 
of seeing someone you love um, be abused and not have the support or courage um, to be able to leave. And so I thank you for helping us talk about this. Well, it was through my own experience that I came to a place where I knew I had to help other women because I didn't realize I was being abused. I just thought this is what marriage looked like. Um, my controlling husband uh, took over the finances, but it was just a slow process, you know, over years. And there were red flags, but I chose to ignore those. But it happened so slowly and so systematically that I didn't see it. And he was very careful to keep anyone away from me, not let anyone get close enough to hold the mirror up to me. Mm-hmm. So um, I was pretty much isolated from family, from friends. Uh, and that way I had no idea how really dark a place I had gotten to. So how many years were you married and, um, you know, and, and more importantly, how, how did you realize that this is not what a healthy marriage is, is like, this is not what I thought it should be? Well, I didn't have a very good role model in that my own parents had a very dysfunctional and controlling arrangement. So um, I guess that was my comfort zone. You know, that felt normal to me because it's all I'd ever witnessed. And uh, my first husband was um, very uh, overbearing, very uh, charismatic, um, very charming, very outgoing, and uh, had everyone convinced that he was a really great guy, including myself. Um, And at the time, I was, I had my own career. I was earning a healthy salary. Um, it wasn't really until I started having, well, right away, I literally uh, had a baby nine months after we were married, our first baby. So I went right from being married to being a mother. So I had my first baby, and then 18 months later, the second, another 24 months after that, the third. So for those three and a half years, I was sort of just, you know, head in the sand up to my eyeballs being a mommy. And you know how that I became a zombie. So happily, I had a career where I could work at home. I was a freelance writer. So I would take on projects. But um, he was very he became very forceful. That was the first real sign of it. He became very forceful about wanting me to take on more work. you know, I remember the first line that really shook me was he said, this is, it was 1991. He said, you know, this is, these are, this, we're in the 90s. Women are expected to make as much, if not more, as their husbands. And just because you've had babies doesn't mean you shouldn't be earning more. And you didn't come with a dowry. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, that was my first insight that's a a red flag yeah that something was not normal and it just spiraled down after that and uh anyway uh he he was very worried about my earning enough money he his business was going downhill um he started having me sign lines of credit because he had ruined his credit but mine was still perfect so 
at first I thought, well, he we're married. He has my best interest at heart. He always told me I wasn't smart enough to understand. It was very complicated stuff. You know, it was very condescending toward me. Like he owned a lot of real estate and collected rent and there were things I didn't understand. There was appreciation, depreciation, and amortization. And, you know, our taxes were way too complicated for me to wrap my brain around. They were three inches thick. And I, I was convinced that I wasn't capable, especially in my zombie status, yeah. um, of, of wrapping my brain around this. So when he said, well, I, we need you, the family needs you to sign this loan, sign this line of credit, whatever it was, the first time I did it. And the second time he came to me, I questioned it. I said, I, I can't repay this. Like, how how is this going to work? And that's when the abuse first started because I didn't just blindly agree to do whatever he needed me to do. And it started, the abuse started with, you're too stupid to understand this. I own XYZ and all I would have to do is sell one thing to repay this and this is more important but you can't understand it because and just to to give you background I was well educated yeah. and highly intelligent so yes of course I could have understood it but he really got me to believe that I couldn't understand it and then the requests for signatures on on documents came more and more often and the more i pushed back the worse the abuse got and so you find yourself in a situation where you're being gaslighted you're being you know verbally and financially abused you're being forced to take on debt yourself that you know you cannot repay and you're caring for three infants, <laughs> itty bitty kids. When was your your bottom? <gasps> was it that bottom that you? I can tell you the moment. The moment was when um, I had gone. I guess my kids were were six, eight, nine by then, and uh, I had taken on lots and lots of. Again, I was freelancing, so but I could take on as much as I could get. So I was working around the clock. Wow. Try and I was earning a healthy six-figure salary, working from home, taking care of the children, and doing all of this writing on my own. Commute, not commuting every day, but having to go into the city from where I lived uh, once or twice a week. Yeah, to but pick still up managing, but managing all the, and everything now and right. Um, so I was just ragged. <laughs> I was just ragged, and whenever um, I questioned him about you know, his contribution, it was, again, I'm too stupid to understand how complex his business is. And he really did do a great job of keeping it very complicated so that it was not figure out of bull. He worked out of our home and just the paperwork alone. And the it was so negative. It was such negative energy, piles of bills and warrants and eviction notices and uh, late fees and um, this the city you know would fine him for repairs or water yeah. or whatever um, it was just so big it was, just felt like a tidal wave coming at me mm-hmm. um, so 
We also fought over our one car that I paid for with my money and the, the insurance and the gas and everything else, but he took it every day. So I would then be forced to walk to the train, walk the kids to school. I know. And uh, so there was like this daily fight over who was going to get the car. Um, it was just such a torture chamber. So it was rarely me. Uh, and he would take uh the, well that's another uh, the, he would take the key to the office that i used and hide it from me and you know just all these tricks like not give me messages from my work you know just all these tactics to make me crazy really um so this is like near the bottom i was walking to the post office because i didn't have a car and the kids were at school and i went we couldn't get mail at our house because he didn't want the process servers to be able to find us so easily so he wouldn't put numbers on our house. I'm not kidding. So I we had to get our mail delivered in a post office box. So I'm walking to get the daily mail and I'm I come back. It starts raining. Now, this was my rock bottom. I was 40 years old. I was making more money than I ever thought I'd be able to make. I did I was I didn't have a car. I paid for a car, but I didn't have access to a car. And I'm holding, walking blocks and blocks, holding an armload of bills, late notices, all kinds of threatening paperwork that all in my name, couldn't pay any of it, had no access to the six figures I was making because he would take my checks and deposit them, forge my name. So I didn't have access to any of the money and it's raining <laughs> and everything's getting wet. And I just thought, how did I get here? Yeah. Wow. And I think that Victoria, you just dispelled three extremely powerful myths that we as women have. Number one, that this happens to women who are uneducated and, you know, the, the ones that, that aren't smart enough, right? Not true. Number two, this happens only to women who are not the breadwinners. You were the breadwinner and this happened to you. And three, that this only happens in marriages that might be low income or we, we, we sometimes think about, um, we don't think about this happening to a couple who's living in Montclair or living on the Upper East Side. We, well, let me just add, we were living in Southampton, which is, you know, a Tony, for those who are hearing yeah. from other places, a very Tony section of Long Island, you know, yeah. the Hamptons. And we had this beautiful home that looked gorgeous on the outside and nothing worked on the inside. Yeah, Nothing was fixed. Not, he was renovating, tearing things apart, never putting anything back together. And it was such a metaphor. Mm -hmm. that everything looked so great on the outside and everything was completely broken on the inside. So you've reached the rock bottom. There's still so much more to do though. How do you, <laughs> that first step, right? Right. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that you've worked with clients mm -hmm. that have reached that rock bottom too. 
what did you do and what do you recommend? Because it's not always as easy as just walking out that door and not coming back. It's not easy. And, you know, I think uh, we get to this place, women like me and myself, because we're too strong. You know, people come to women come to me and say, I can't believe I let this happen. I can't believe I was so weak. I said, no, 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 you're not weak at all. In fact, you're too strong for your own good. You, you kept taking on more. You kept taking it on. You kept saying, I can fix this. I can do this. I can take care of everything. I can take care of my kids. I can take care of the money. I can take care of him. I can fix him. I can make this marriage work. Somebody lesser, less strong would have bailed, would have said, I can't do this. Yeah. But you tried to this end, to all the way to this point, because you're so strong. Do you, have you seen women though, that will, after that conversation with them, they'll still blame themselves? <gasps> yes. And how do you move past that? Because you, even if we're not, even if we're not conscious that we feel guilty, that somehow we did something to merit this, even if we're not conscious of it, sometimes we hold that peace inside. I'm going to flip the script here because I think it's healthy to take responsibility. Not, not to, well, to blame yourself on some level, but then to forgive yourself. But if you don't take the responsibility, then you're just a victim. If you didn't play a role in it, then you're just a victim that this was done to. And you stay in that victim mentality. Yeah. And you can't move on. But I tell my clients to find the responsibility, find your role. What role did you play? Did you enable this? Did you bear too much of the burden for too long? Did you, what, what did you do that led to this? Mm -hmm. And then when you own that and say, that was where I made a mistake, that is what I did wrong. I take responsibility for that. Then you're not a victim. Yeah. You played a role. And if you created that, you can create something different. Yeah. And that's moving from a place, a place of strength, which is really powerful, not being the victim. Right. And I have to say, if you're the victim, this was done to you, onto you, onto you. Um, what's to stop you being a victim again? Right. right. Unless you take ownership of this is my part. I take ownership. And I take ownership because I will never let that part, I will never play that part again. Right. Yeah. As far as money and control, this is something that happens way too often where um, over time, for many different reasons, um, Women give up the control of the money. He makes it his way of starting to be able to uh, force you by essentially financial abuse where you don't have access to your paycheck. Or even if your donor have a paycheck, you don't have access to any portion of his paycheck. Um, we've seen women be getting small stipends on a weekly basis that can't possibly cover the cost of the basics in the food. 
so that they're forced to go and grovel to ask him for more. And then, of course, there's that cycle of why do and why do the kids need the backpacks to go to all those things? Right, right. How does this happen? Does it happen all at once? Does it happen over time? I call it a slow drip. I never in a million years thought I would be in that place. When we were first dating, married, so generous, so generous, you know, just had me on a pedestal, like whatever. It, it just all seemed like a fairy tale, like too good to be true. And it was. Um, and then at the lowest point, I was having to beg for my own money to go to the grocery store. And I would, this was what it came to. I was for, he would force me to write a grocery list to show him exactly what I was going to buy and how much each item cost. It was like the prices, right? I had to know all of my prices. And then he would look at it and decide, well, we don't really need that. Or, you know, he would make, he would veto and then give me the adjusted amount to the penny. And then I would have three kids in tow in the grocery store trying to calculate in my head. And then, of course, I see the thing that I forgot that I really do need more than all the other things. So now I'm having to recalculate while the toddlers are grabbing things, throwing things in the cart, you know, try wanting everything. And it was mayhem. I going to the grocery store was one of the most, the most stressful things because then I'm at the counter praying I did the math right because I didn't have a credit card to back it up. If I was going to be embarrassed, have to put things back if I didn't calculate right. So, I mean, the I would, I would hyperventilate just thinking about going to the grocery store. <laughs> but this is the control. This is how they, they have to keep you off balance. I mean, that, he's an extreme narcissist. And I deal with a lot of women who are married to narcissistic men. It's part of the control by keeping you off balance. Yeah. They, they can control more aspects of your life. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there's a feedback cycle where that feeds into them and their confidence and they need to continue to control you to keep that confidence. Um, so how did you, <laughs> how did you leave? Well, that morning that I walked to the post office and yeah. I hit my rock bottom. The next day I had to go into New York for work. Yeah. And on the train ride home, it was raining again. Yeah. I'm just thinking, how am I going to change this? I yeah. called him to ask him to pick me up, which was a normal thing. And for whatever reason, he was mad at me and told me he wouldn't pick me up from the train. And I didn't have money for a cab. So I walked the better part of a mile home in the rain that night from work. <laughs> and I made a promise to myself that I was going to take the car key. We had one car key. We'd lost the other along the way. And it lived on his keychain. And I got up in the middle of the night and I took it off his keychain. It was a very big step mm -hmm. and I hit it. And the next morning when he went to get it and it was gone, he knew exactly what I had done. Um, he ransacked the house looking for it. 
through everything everywhere. This is in front of our three small children. Um, he knew I'd gone to the city the day before I had this big bag I used to always take with me and he dumped it. He took my wallet. He grabbed the, you know, my license, whatever, couple of dollars I had, whatever, stuffed them in his pocket, ripped. It also dramatic, you know, the drama ripped the wallet in half. But before he did that though, we were, I was actually trying to get the wallet back from him. We're having a tug of war. And at that moment, and my children are watching this. At that moment, I realized I was just buying into this craziness. So not meaning to for him to fall, but I mean, I let go because I thought I can't be part of this. This is insane. This is like children. And, you know, so he fell back and that really embarrassed him. So anyway, I walked away. I was walking out away from the situation and he came up from behind and that's when he choked me because I was walking away. I wasn't engaging in the chaos. And he literally pinned me up against a wall by my throat, which I don't remember, but I'm told by my children. And um, I blacked out. And when I came to, my six-year-old, the youngest one was crying because he thought I was dead. So I uh, got up and I called the police. And why he stood there and watched me walk over to the phone. I still don't understand to this day. He didn't try to stop me, um, but he did cry. And he said, don't call the police. You'll ruin everything. There again. My fault. Your fault. My fault. I almost don't know what to say. And <laughs> It's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. Um, as it turns out, when I called the police, they told me they were already on their way to my house because when he fell back, when I let go of the wallet, he hit the window and a glass, a pane of glass broke. And a neighbor was walking a dog and heard the glass break and heard the screaming and had already called. So they were right there. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. And then when they came in, of course, he said, my wife is crazy. She's on medication. And thank God <laughs> the policeman saw his handprint on my throat still. Yeah. And arrested him. Yeah. And so 911. Well, that's another part of the story in that it was so long ago that 911 was very new. Mm -hmm. And at a PTA meeting, we had been told, the mothers had been told to memorize the local police department number because if you called 911 at that point, it went to a station far away. Okay. And it was quicker if we called the village police department. <clears throat> so when I walked over to the phone and I started pounding in a seven-digit number, he didn't think it was the police. Which could have saved you, too. It might have. Yeah, because nine one one is very clear right. when you're when you. But that he tried to use that against me as well in court, and he said obviously I had provoked him, and it was all premeditated because I had memorized the number to fool him, that I had concocted this whole mm -hmm. episode, so that he would choke me, that I was purposely provoking him to choke me, mm -hmm. and it had nothing to in, do in front of your children. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. 
So your sharing your journey is one of the bravest things I've ever heard. And can you talk about where you are today? Yes. Um, where your children are? Yes. Um, how you have dedicated your life to giving back and helping women. Can you talk about yes. that? Because I think so much of this is for women who are stuck in this impossible situation to know there is a future for you. There is a future because here you are. And I have chills saying this. Here you are, yeah. Victoria. You are a future and a happy future. One of the kindest, most just amazing women. Thank you. That I know. Thank you. Um, I never dreamed in a million years I could have such a, an incredible life after all that. And I do. I, I'm, you know, it sounds like I'm bragging. I, I can't believe it. I'm just in awe that my life has turned around the way it has. And I have everything I ever dreamed of and more. And you can absolutely, I, I tell you because I want everyone to know you, if you, if I can turn that around, you can turn whatever you're going through around. You can have a second chance. You can have, you can have a mulligan, you know, just, you can do it over and do it better. And my children, I, well, the first thing I did was uh, when I got back on my feet after it was a very, it was a six year long divorce because he contested it and he fought for custody and he, you know, he made it, dragged it out and made it really, really difficult. Um, but when I was back on my feet emotionally, I went to volunteer for the Coalition Against Domestic Violence. They were an agency that helped me that day when I went to the court. I was, the police told me to run to the courthouse and get an order of protection because although he was arrested, it was his first offense and he would definitely be released. And he would come right back and hurt me. So I got the order of protection and at the courthouse, the coalition had like an outpost there. And so they pulled me in. And they were talking to me about whether I should press charges or not. And uh, I said, you know, I, I, I was still in that place where I couldn't imagine pressing charges against my husband. Um, and they were the ones who talked sense into me. And they said, if, if you don't, then the next time we see you, it's going to be your picture in the obituaries because it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. And so I sat with that for a while because mm -hmm. then... There was no reason to doubt it. Look at how it had progressed mm -hmm. to where it was. It certainly wasn't going to get better. Um, so I did volunteer work for them. I told my story in front of groups so that women would not feel so humiliated or embarrassed to come forth and get help. So I put myself out there that way. And then ultimately, I wanted to do more. So I became a volunteer who, uh, it's called an, a hospital advocate. So when a patient presents at a, at a hospital with a domestic violence issue. Sorry. Um, they call the advocate who's on call. And it's my job to counsel the patient in hopes of opening their eyes to other possibilities for them, resources available, so that they don't go back to their abuser yeah. from the hospital. Yeah. And I did that for years and years. Um, 
So that's what ultimately led to my trying to figure out how I could make a career of my volunteer work. And so talk a little bit about your practice that you have now, the types of women you work with, the types of things that you can you can help them with. Oh, well, I'm so blessed because I just attract the most wonderful clients. And I think the reason we get such great results is that I am speaking their language. You know, they I, I'm not judging them. My goodness, how could I ever judge? Um, and they feel safe because I was there too. Mm-hmm. And I was able to turn it around. So A, I hope I'm giving them hope. Um, and B, I understand, I can really meet them where they are mm-hmm. and help them take the baby steps because I'm telling you, it feels like a tidal wave. Yeah. That was how I pictured it when I was there. It was too big and too scary to ever get over. But if you have someone who can break it into little bite-sized pieces and take one step at a time mm-hmm. and hold your hand while you're doing it, and encourage you to keep moving on, then it's doable. Mm-hmm. And do you work with women who are only in the divorce process no. or also women that are not really sure what's what the right next step is? Both, but certainly <clears throat> um, a lot of women don't know. They don't think they're capable of divorcing this person who's so controlling or abusive. Uh, so they just need to regain their power. Uh, I, I love to help people. I have a system that I call the reclaim your power system. It's I've honed Tell it. Tell me over, more about yeah. that. Cause I've read that in your bio. <laughs> I need that. I, do, I feel like we all, we need, all need let's that. reclaim our power. Cause there are certain days that I'm, I get home and I feel like I need to reclaim it. <laughs> exactly. It's a 10 step process, but ultimately by the end of it, I want these women to make whatever their decision is from a place of strength and not from a place of fear. Whether they decide to stay in the marriage or not, I want them making that decision. I want to help them be in a place where they can make it from strength Mm -hmm. and not from fear. And as you talked about too, and not from just being a victim. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Which, you know, it's interesting. I've never thought about fear and victim but they, they go together, that not feeling as if you have any control of being a victim, of having that fear. Um, if you were to give kind of parting thoughts to a woman who is struggling, um, almost if you could give advice to yourself, to that woman who was burdening all of that, Victoria, what would you... What would you say? I would say, think about what it is that you're afraid of. Figure out what you're afraid of and find a way to face that fear. Because fear doesn't exist. It's it's your imagination about something that hasn't happened. You know, you're, you're presuming something. Yeah. And 100% of the time when you face it, It's not as bad as you imagined it to be. So what was my biggest fear? I guess my biggest fear was that he would hurt me. And he did. And it was the best thing that happened because 
it expedited the whole situation. I mean, I don't, you know, that's a, that's a sticky wicket because you don't want to provoke somebody purposely to hurt you. But that was my fear Mm -hmm. that he would hurt me. And he hurt me. I, physical injuries are much easier to get over than emotional and psychological ones. Um, So, wow, that wasn't so bad. He went to jail. I got an order of protection and I started my journey to get out of the marriage. So what what is the fear? Um, Fear that your children won't have a family intact. That's the biggest one I hear. It's like, well, is this a better situation? Because if you keep them, A, you're teaching them that this is normal and acceptable. They will model this behavior. And if you're separated, then at least you have that opportunity to create a loving, healthy, safe, nurturing environment when they're with you. And then they will see the contrast. And they will gravitate toward what feels good. You, you've said something before that stuck with me very, um, very much close to my heart that I feel is so powerful of, you shared, think of the worst possible thing that could happen to you if you leave him, the worst possible thing, and, and sit with that. And for most women, you realize that's actually not that bad, even if it does. You're going to lose all the money? Well, you in my case, I didn't have control of the money anyway. And at least if you are divorcing, there are laws protecting you. Exactly. Exactly. So we'll make sure also in our show notes that we put all of the links to places that women can reach out to um, for the support with domestic violence, whether it's emotional, financial, or physical. Um, but how do our listeners get to know more about you and your website? How can they, they reach out? Well, my website is victoriamacui.com and you can reach me via email at victoria at victoriamacui.com. And if you visit my website, um, there are testimonials from my clients and some of the lawyers I've worked with. And, um, it explains more about how, I can, I've guided people through the process and also people who did not end up getting divorced through Mm -hmm. their own journey, Um, how matrimonial attorneys even have valued my relationship with them and that their their clients are better prepared, their Mm -hmm. clients are uh, emotional, they're not, they know what to expect, they're not... um, expecting too much. They're not, they're not as fearful around it. I help them with the paperwork. I help them Mm -hmm. get their financials in order. I help them get the documentation in order. I help them do some tricks that, um, prepare them to turn their case over to a lawyer, you know, so that the lawyer gets a really quick overview of of what happened. They need to know. So it doesn't take long, you know, hours of, of explanation. You know, we, we do it in a really easy way that also reveals a lot, you know, as you're putting this piece together, things start revealing themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And 
We'll also, just for all of our listeners, we'll put um, a link to Victoria's website so that you don't have to worry about the spelling. So that'll be <laughs> there in the show notes too. And I just want to say um, a great big thank you for investing in yourself to educate yourself. Um, and if you know of uh, a friend, a family member, uh, someone that you care about that you suspect is in a difficult potentially abusive relationship um, or yourself, speak up. This is dangerous. And women, far too many women have lost their lives because of the hands of abuse uh, from their husband. So thank you for coming and listening to Financially Ever After, coming to you every other week with important information, support, and encouragement to move through this process in the most whole and healthy way possible. If we can help you to sort out finances and answer any complex financial questions about what your life might look like. And if you've received a settlement and not sure what settlement A or B might mean for you, um, please reach out too. We have a wonderful second opinion where we can help you see into the future to understand what you need and whether or not you and your family are going to be financially okay. So thank you for joining and we'll see you in two weeks.